The following audio is from North Pine Baptist Church. We trust that this recording will help you learn more about God and His message for the world. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au. to turn with me please in your Bibles to Peter's first letter. All right, so if you uh, head to the New Testament, you head towards the uh, the end of the New Testament, uh, after the book of Hebrews, uh, James, you'll find uh, one Peter there. And we're going to read uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, and we're reading from verses 1 through to 10. Uh, if you um, can't, or if you haven't got a Bible, you can follow along with me on the screen. So the Apostle Peter, writing under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit, says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants, long for the spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone, rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received. This is the word of the Lord to us today. Well, as Grant mentioned, this is uh, we're beginning a, a new preaching series this morning, and uh, the, the title of the series is called Faith Foundations. Over the next five weeks, what we're going to be doing is we're going to be looking at some of the core aspects and practices of our faith that God uses in order to build us up in it build us up in our faith. We're going to be looking at things like the Word and prayer and fellowship and ministry and mission. But today, we begin with the most uh, foundational of all, that is Jesus Christ, the one who is indeed the very foundation of our faith. So if you're looking for that big idea this morning in terms of the message, here it is. We'll put it right from the very, right up front, right from the word go. And the big idea from this message today is this. The people of God are His new temple built on the foundation of Jesus and chosen to proclaim His excellent greatness to everyone. All right, I'll 
read that again. The people of God are his new temple, built on the foundation of Jesus and chosen to proclaim his excellent greatness to everyone. I wonder, have you ever been chosen for a really special responsibility? Have you ever had that uh, that happened to you in your life, been, been, been singled out, been chosen for a special responsibility. Now, my last year as, uh, at primary school, I know that's going back quite a ways, my last year of, of primary school, I was chosen to be sports captain for the particular house group that I was, uh, that I was a part of at school. And for me, that, that had two really big consequences for me at that stage. I mean, I was a fairly quiet kid, a fairly shy kid, quite an introvert. Nothing's changed. But being elected, that this, 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 or being chosen as, as, as sports house captain kind of really just gave me a, a real sense of, of, of value and it kind of really boosted my self-esteem of, you know, quite significantly uh, in that. But the second significant consequence that it had is that what it did is it, wanted to make, it made me really determined to do the best possible job that I could in that role. I mean, it sort of gave me this, this elevated sense of responsibility, of, you know, of, of gratitude for this privileged position that I'd been chosen to. I didn't want to let people down who chose me. I didn't want to disappoint either those, those kids, my fellow classmates and, and kids in the school. I didn't want to disappoint them in terms of how I carried out my responsibilities as sports house captain there. I was going to try, and be, I was going to, try to be the best house captain that I possibly could. You know, for the believer in Jesus Christ, the person who has put their faith and trust in him as Saviour and Lord, we also have been specially chosen. Chosen for God's special purposes in his kingdom and in his world. We have been set apart by God to be the object of his special affection and to be a part of his special mission, his special rescue mission in our world today. A rescue mission that is founded entirely upon the person of Jesus Christ. This is what we discover here in these verses in 1 Peter 2, verses 1 through to 10. And we're going to look at this passage today under two particular headings, which centers around this sovereign choosing of God. That God chose Jesus as the foundation of his saving work in the world. And secondly, that God has chosen believers to be set apart for his special purpose of offering spiritual sacrifices and proclaiming his excellent greatness to all who will hear. So here we go. Let's kick us off this morning with with the, the first of our points. You're taking notes. This is it. God chose Jesus as the foundation of his saving work in the world. We see that in verses 4 and 6 to 8. You know, the writer of this letter, the Apostle Peter, says in in verses 4 to 5, he says this. As you come to him, speaking of Jesus, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious... You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Now, immediately we see in these verses that God's purpose is to build this spiritual 
house of living stones who themselves have come to the living stone and been joined to him. Of course, speaking of Jesus. Because the imagery that's behind Peter's uh, words here is this imagery of the temple, the temple of God. This is what a spiritual house is. And the temple was meant to be the center, if you like, of the worship of God. It was meant to be the place where God said that he would dwell with his people. God would focus his presence with his people there in that temple. Of course, we know that you know God is far above all that. I mean, when Solomon first built the temple he dedicated, he said, you know, that, that you know, houses built by human hands can't contain God. Even the highest heavens can't contain him. Yet God, in his mercy, chose to make his dwelling place here with his people. The temple would be the specific focus of God's presence. And people would come to the temple where they would worship God and where they would would come and make sacrifices as atonement for their sins, sacrifices offered by the priests on the people's behalf in order to turn away God's wrath because of their sinfulness. It would be the place where they would come worship God, where they would offer sacrifices, they would receive the forgiveness of God and be reminded of the wonderful covenant relationship that God had with his people. The temple was made of of massive, massive big stones weighing several tons each. And they were built one on top of the other. And it was an incredibly impressive structure, a massive structure, just a a monumental kind of structure that, uh, that towered over the city of Jerusalem in that day. Everyone could see that the temple was there perched up high on a hill and no matter where you were around the Jerusalem you would see the temple there as the focus, reminding them that that, that God was the focus and the centre of all of their lives the temple as I said before was first built by King Solomon but destroyed the first time by the Babylonians in the 6th century BC Uh, later on it would be rebuilt, rebuilt by King Herod around the beginning of the first century AD, and uh, it t- took well over 40 years to build. But of course, we know also from history that uh, not long after that, in, in, in 70 AD, the temple again would be destroyed, this time by the Romans, never to be rebuilt. And the reason why it was never to be rebuilt was because the temple building was never meant to last forever. It was only a shadow, if you like. It was meant to be a signpost pointing people to the ultimate temple, the place where God would dwell perfectly in all his fullness, of course, that being the person of his son, Jesus Christ. We see that in John chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, And the word, speaking of Jesus, God in the flesh, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. The writer, the Apostle John here is saying that there in Jesus Christ was manifested the glory of God, the very presence of God, because Jesus was indeed God in human flesh. As you read on in John's Gospel, in John chapter 2, we see that Jesus goes into this particular temple in Jerusalem. 
and he drives out the merchants, those who had, had turned God's house into a marketplace, who were profiteering from the, from the practices of, of sacrifices and that in the, in the temple precincts. And when Jesus is asked by the religious leaders who, who gave him the authority to do that, to actually, you know, to come and, and exercise this kind of cleaning out of God's temple, Jesus had this to say to them. He said, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews said, you know, it's taken 46 years to build this temple and you'll raise it up in three days? I mean, come on. What are you talking about? But as we read, read, it says, But he, that is Jesus, was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. That Jesus was here referring to that, the fact that he was going to be the temple, that the, 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 the structure, the building structure was only a signpost, was only a shadow, pointing the people to a better temple, that being Jesus Christ. Now, God's plan was always to make Jesus the one through whom people could approach a holy God and find forgiveness and reconciliation with Him. He was the one in whom the ultimate sacrifice for sin would be paid for. Peter refers to Him in verse 4 as the living stone speaking of the fact that he is indeed alive. He is alive today, ruling and reigning there in heaven. He is a living being. He's not an inanimate object, nor is he dead, but he is indeed alive. And it points us back to to the resurrection. It points us back to Jesus' resurrection, that the resurrection, in fact, was God's confirmation that Jesus was indeed the one who could ultimately pay for the sins of mankind, who could absorb the full wrath of God's righteous judgment for sin upon himself, who would die the death that we deserved, but then would rise in triumph over death, over the grave, over sin, over Satan, that it is through Jesus Christ alone that we find victory in all these things. But not only does it speak of that, but it also speaks of the fact that Jesus is the one and the only one who is able to give life. He is the source, the only source of spiritual life. And Peter goes on to make clear that he is the living stone who is rejected by man, but in the sight of God, chosen So what Peter is saying here is that God presents Jesus as the fulcrum, if you like, that that pivot point upon which the eternal destiny of all mankind rests. And we can either choose to believe in him or we can choose to reject him. And this is picked up in the next few verses of our passage this morning, in verses 6 to 8. All of these verses are actually, in fact, quotes from the Old Testament. That's why it says, for it stands in Scripture, speaking of the fact that it is there written for, for us to read there in the Old Testament. And it speaks of the stone. Jesus as the stone. Verse 6 is a quote from Isaiah 28, 16. And in this, this particular chapter in Isaiah in 28, God is pronouncing judgment. God is pronouncing judgment upon his people Israel because of the wickedness of their sin. You know, God had 
and it spent it sent prophets to his people, calling them to repent and return to him because you know, God had set up this covenant relationship with his people, Israel, but Israel had turned their backs on God and they'd gone after foreign gods and they'd gone, you know, they'd practiced you know, immoral practices in their lives and they denied God and his word. They rejected God and his word. And God and his love calls them back time and time again through the prophets. But ultimately, God's patience runs out. And he says to his people, judgment is coming. And it is coming in the form of the Babylonian nation, the ruling power at that particular time. And God says they are going to come and they are going to overrun this country. They are going to overrun you as a people. They are going to destroy Jerusalem and they are going to destroy the temple of God. Yet in the midst of this judgment, God offers a word of hope in Isaiah twenty-eight sixteen, where he says this, Therefore, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am the one who has laid as a foundation in Zion, that is Jerusalem, a stone, a tested stone, a precious cornerstone of a sure and certain foundation. Whoever believes in it will not be in haste. In other words, what, uh, what the writer is saying there is that, that uh, the, the person who, who puts their trust in this stone will not be then stricken with panic in the midst of this judgment. That they will be, in fact, unshakable in the midst of God's judgment. They will stand firm. Of course, God is not speaking about some big slab of rock here. He's talking about, he's looking forward to this new temple that he will build with its foundation as Jesus Christ as the cornerstone, the foundation stone that is chosen and precious by God. And whoever believes in it will never be disappointed. And Peter takes this verse and he relates it to Jesus Christ and he switches it around a bit because in, in Isaiah 28, 16, whoever, he says, whoever puts their faith in it, speaking of the stone, but Peter here in this passage flips that word it to say him. Whoever puts their faith in him, Jesus, will never be disappointed, will never become, be put to shame. Perhaps so. Peter, he may be reminded of perhaps Jesus' words in the parable of the tenants there in Matthew 21. You know, Jesus is, is preaching this parable to the, to the crowds and particularly to the Jewish religious leaders. And he speaks about this, this vineyard that, a, that an owner planted. And, uh, and he puts over that, puts in charge of that vineyard these particular tenant farmers, if you like. He says, I want you to look after it and tend it and care for it. And, and the fruits of it, I want you to, you know, to, to reap the fruits. And, and, and he sends, from time to time, he sends messages back to, to get some of the fruits of his vineyard. And when these messages come, the, the people, the, 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 the managers of the fields, kill the messengers. And then finally, the owner said, decides, I'll send my son. And he can bring, you know, he can bring the, the, the fruits of the, of the vineyard back to me. And the, the, the tenants get together and they say, you know, look, here comes his son. If we kill him, then it's ours for good. And so, uh, you know, that's what they choose to do. They choose to kill him. And, of course, Jesus closes that particular parable by referring to himself as the cornerstone. You can read this a little bit later on there in Matthew 21. And, in fact, Jesus quotes 
in that Psalm 118, verse 22, which Peter actually quotes here, where it says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Jesus sees himself as that cornerstone. You know, the Apostle Paul picks that up in, in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 and 22, where he says this about the people of God. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, the word of God, and Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. It is in him the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. See, God's whole eternal plan, God's whole eternal purposes in all of creation is, uh, uh, were founded or are founded and built on Jesus. And unless we come to Jesus in this way, we cannot hope to be a part of God's eternal kingdom and his eternal purposes. Unless our lives are built on the foundation of Jesus, then all of our efforts, no matter how pious, no matter how religious and spiritual they are, will actually all amount to zero in God's sight. Peter points this out in verses 7 and 8. As I said, quotes from Psalm 118 and Isaiah 8, 14, where he says, The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. Peter's saying here that you know, what men may think of Jesus, God has other ideas. Men may think, you know, may, may, may look at Jesus and measure him up according to their own wisdom, their own understanding, their own logic, their own rational kind of arguments and that sort of thing, and reject him outright. But God says, in rejecting him, you are rejecting the very one whom I have set up as the foundation of all things. God has a totally different perspective and plan. If you want to read more about how Jesus is the central foundation of God's eternal plan and purposes in the world, you can look up Ephesians chapter 1, verses 7 through to 10, and you can also look up Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through to 17, a couple of uh, passages for you to look up a bit later on. See, Jesus is the cornerstone on which God is building his entire eternal kingdom Therefore, to reject Jesus is to reject the very thing, the very one that God has chosen to have at the center of everything. And all who reject God's chosen and precious cornerstone, Jesus as his foundation, are therefore destined to stumble over him, to, to, that he will be the one who trips them up, so to speak. I will be tripped up by him, and as Jesus makes clear in Matthew 21, to be crushed by him, to be destroyed by him. And Jesus isn't talking about here about a complete annihilation destruction. No, he does not saying that you know when you come to the end of this life that there'll be absolute, there'll be nothingness, but that destruction is talking about an eternal damnation before God. But Jesus speaks about an eternity of suffering and torment. Folks, there is no middle ground. 
we either accept Jesus as God's chosen and precious cornerstone, the foundation of all things, the centre of everything, or we reject him. There's no sitting on the fence. For God has chosen Jesus as the foundation of his saving work in the world. But then God has also chosen believers to be set apart for the special purpose of offering spiritual sacrifices and proclaiming his excellent greatness. We see that in verses 5 and 9 through 10. See, Peter says, those who come to Jesus as this living stone, this cornerstone, says they too, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a temple, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. You know, just as the temple was meant to be the, the place where God chose to be present with his people, so Jesus became the fulfillment of that presence of God in his person. And now, Peter says, we, as the people of God, have been joined with Jesus by faith and are being built up into this new temple, this people structure, if you like, these living stones who are now the ones in which God dwells by his spirit and shines his glory through. So that should make us just absolutely just fall down in awe, shouldn't it? That God would do that for us. God's eternal plan has always been to create a people for himself centered or built on Jesus as the foundation stone and in whom he would dwell by his Holy Spirit and through whom God would then display his grace and his goodness and his glory to others. If you want to know what your purpose is in this life as a person of God, as a child of God, folks, that's it that our lives are built on the foundation of Jesus as the cornerstone. So therefore, you know, the cornerstone was the most essential, most important stone in the building. It was the stone that was perfectly cut. The right angles were absolutely perfect. You know, it was sort of set down and every part of the building took its, its measurements, took its orientation, took, you know, took everything from the cornerstone. It was all aligned through this cornerstone. And so the image we have here is Jesus as our foundation. Our lives need to be completely orientated around Jesus and orientated by Jesus and his word. We together are being built up as the people of God. He dwells in us individually by his spirit, yes. More importantly, this passage says that that he dwells, God dwells in us together. 1 Corinthians 3.16 says this, Do you not know that you, now that you there is plural, speaking of collective you, are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you. Again, not just individually, but this is talking about you plural, collectively as the people of God. We together are God's temple. And so that in itself should give our gatherings together just incredible significance and meaning, shouldn't it? 
you know, I don't know if you're sitting at home today, you know, just wondering whether or not to come back to church or that sort of thing. A verse like this should scream out to us, we, need, we are the people of God together. There is something about the presence and the majesty and glory of God that is seen as God's people, you know, come together as they gather together and declare His praises. we made living stones, God says, but we are also made to be a holy priesthood who offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Priests. Not only are we the, the building, the temple, but we are also the priesthood who serves God. You know, the priests in the Old Testament were, were set apart by God. They were chosen specifically to serve God and His purposes. And we, as God's priests today, are that as well. Priests aren't some people who just walk around in you know, clothes with a collar around their neck and that sort of thing. In fact, the Bible actually doesn't even talk about you know, religious leaders and, and, and bishops and people like that as priests. The people that God speaks about as priests in His Word are His people. Each and every one of us are priests for God. were chosen. The priests were washed. Now, the priests had to go through this cleansing kind of ceremony. They were washed. And it speaks to the fact that we were washed too in the precious blood of Christ, made holy in Him. The priests were clothed. They were clothed in these special garments. We have been clothed with the garments of the righteousness of Christ as God's priests. And the priests were anointed as well. They were anointed with oil. They were anointed with oil on their, their right ear, their right thumb, and their right toe. Meaning that they were to be the people set apart for doing the things of God, for hearing and obeying the word of God, and for walking in the ways of God. That's what we are as God's priests today, set apart for Him. as part of being these living stones which reflect, reflect God's glory as His priesthood, we have wonderful access to God and are meant to serve Him in His purposes through the offering, Peter says here, of spiritual sacrifices, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. What are these spiritual sacrifices? Well, quickly, I've just listed a few down there if you're taking notes today. Romans chapter 12 and verse 1 tells us, that we are, in view of God's mercy, we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, which is our spiritual act of worship. We are not, no longer to conform to the patterns of this world, but instead we are to be transformed in the renewing of our minds, that we might walk in the ways of God and serve Him. Because that takes us back then to what Peter speaks about here in the beginning of chapter 2 where he says, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. And Peter's saying, you know, that, that kind of way of life, that's no longer suitable. It's no longer appropriate for you as the people of God, as God's priesthood. But instead, we are to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Not only that, we, you know, Peter says here that, you know, 
in putting away sin. Like newborn infants, we're to long for pure spiritual milk. In other words, that which nourishes us in our faith and in our relationship with God. This is speaking very much of the Word of God, and Mark's going to talk about that more next week in our, in, in our series. Another spiritual sacrifice that's mentioned here is in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse, verse 15, which speaks of our praise being a sacrifice to God, the fruit of our lips. Hebrews 13, 16 speaks about our good deeds that we do for God, how we serve one another. In fact, it goes on to speak about our generosity towards one another, not just financially, but our generosity with our time and with all of our resources for the people of God. Philippians 4.18 speaks of our giving being a spiritual sacrifice. Psalm 141 verse 2 speaks of our prayers to God being a spiritual sacrifice. Psalm 50 and verse 23 speaks about our thanksgiving as we lift up hands of thanksgiving and praise to God, that also is a spiritual sacrifice. Of course, the culmination of our spiritual sacrifice is seen in Psalm 51 where God says, a broken spirit and a contrite heart. That is what God requires of us. Humility and be, to be repentant over our sin. These are the sacrifices which God calls us to make. That's just a small list. I'm sure that you can find others as you search through the Scriptures. Because God primarily wants our hearts, you know, and, and our bodies, our praise, our good deeds, our giving, our prayers, our thanksgiving. All of these things ultimately amount to nothing if, if our hearts don't truly belong to God, if He is not the one who captivates our hearts. We can do all of this stuff and it'll mean absolutely nothing. God wants our hearts first and foremost. Well, Peter's referred to Jesus as the chosen and precious cornerstone, and in verse 9 he refers to us as chosen. Which means through this passage and other parts of, of scriptures, we see this, this God's sovereign choice, this doctrine of election, if you like, is to do, in fact, with God's sovereign choice in the world today. It's seen right throughout Scripture. God sovereignly chose Abraham out of all the people of the world. God chose Jacob. God chose the nation of Israel. God chose us. But what we also need to keep in mind as well is that the Bible teaches that all men are accountable for their acceptance and reject or rejection of Jesus. So we need to keep these two things very much in tension with one another. Even though we might find it hard in our own minds to reconcile the two, the Bible teaches both, and so therefore we need to hold both those in tension. Being chosen, we are made a royal priesthood. So we were not only a holy priesthood, but we are a royal priesthood. People who indeed are priests of the King of Kings and who serve in his royal household. We are a holy nation, a people set apart to God and for God. And we are a people for his own possession. 
In other words, we belong to God forever. 1 Corinthians speaks about the fact that God purchased us. 1 Corinthians 6. We were bought at a price. God purchased us for his own possession that we might belong to him. And it's not because of any merit within us, by the way. It is based purely on God's sovereign choice to show and lavish his love upon us. As Peter goes on to say, it is purely an act of God's mercy. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And in all of this, God did not choose us just for our own sakes, but to be a people Peter then goes on to say, he says, You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, so that, and here is the purpose, so that we may proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. We are to be a people who proclaim the excellencies of God by both our words and and by our lives. We are to proclaim to others just how wonderful and marvelous and good and gracious and merciful and glorious God is. And that he wants to call others out of darkness into his wonderful light, just as he called us. That's a challenging mission, isn't it? No? Not a challenging mission? Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> That's a challenging mission, to be people who proclaim the excellencies of God, especially in our world today, isn't it? Yes. You know, when we consider that that today our world is a place where so many deny God and his goodness, who deny God's living stone, the foundation stone, Jesus, and people who follow him. People who deny God's goodness, who reject his truth, who instead seek to to ridicule people who put their faith and trust in him, who call us foolish and being out of touch, who are backwards and not progressive. People who criticize us and ostracize us because of our faith in Christ. It's a challenging mission. But it's not new. Because it's been happening ever since Jesus first called people to be his disciples. It's interesting, Peter writes this letter specifically to those exiles, he calls he refers to in, in chapter 1 and verse 1 as exiles and strangers in this world. He's saying that when you come to faith in Christ, you know, realistically, you're going to find that you just don't fit in anymore in this world. He knows that we're going to find ourselves, you know, kind of out of place, if you like, a fish out of water, so to speak, in this world today. And yet, God has called us to remain in this world in order that His excellencies will be proclaimed by us. And yes, we will be rejected by men, but so was Jesus. Following his footsteps. But yet, 
Yes, Jesus was rejected, but he was chosen and precious in God's sight, and so are we. And we must never forget that, folks. We must never forget that in this world today, that we are chosen and precious to God. That you, you are chosen and precious to God because you give home Jesus Christ as your Savior. You need to allow that fact to permeate your life in your mind. That it is that truth and that truth primarily that should give you or that you should draw your value and your worth from as a person living today in this world. Because God thinks of you as special and precious to Him. today, God may be even convicting you in your heart that you have been rejecting God's chosen and precious cornerstone and that God has helped you to understand that this morning and that God is impressing upon your heart that, that, that you need to, that you need to come to Jesus today, to fall upon him in humility and repentance and to ask him to forgive you of your sin and to give you 
Thanks for listening to this audio from North Pine Baptist Church. For more information and to connect with us, visit npbc.org.au.